Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We're in our At The Movie series, and uh, it's, it's, it's Jesus. When you think about what we're doing and what's going on around here, Jesus was a master storyteller. Nobody could, t- he was the greatest storyteller ever, and we call those parables. And he, he talked about fishermen, he talked about carpenters, and he talked about builders, and he talked about farmers, and he talked about rich people and poor people, and he, he would draw his audience in with these incredible stories, and then bam, he hit them with the, with the, with the, the hard part right there. He, he grabbed their attention. He hit them with the gospel, or whatever they needed to hear, whoever he was talking to at that time. Now, in the 21st century, our stories are told in part by movies, and we are a very visual society, and so we see, we go to movies, we enjoy them, we get entertained, and, and so, and yet, at the same time, they're telling stories, and so what we're doing in the series at the movies is we're inviting our friends and our guests to come. In fact, you should have a ticket. Get a ticket on your way out the door and invite them to come. We'll use some humorous movie clips to kind of draw them in, and then, bam, we hit them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and why they're here and what God made them for and created them for. So we want you to invite someone to come. We will be doing this for three weeks. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll have a very traditional Christmas Eve service. We'll be having communion, candlelight, always a special music, always a very, very special time at Faith Assembly of God. But for today and these next two Sundays, take the cards, invite someone. It is for our guest we want to bring them in and let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what your favorite movie is. Uh, I asked my wife what her favorite movie was, and she said it's White Christmas. I, I, I went online. It was made in 1954. Do you realize that movie was made that, that when I was born, the year I was born, it was made. In fact, they were probably putting the finishing touch on on August 16th when I was, uh, th- there it was. It was being made and finished and produced and delivered, and it came out that Christmas. And so, uh, and, and, and I, I've never seen it. I've always been afraid it might have a little romance in it, and I don't want to get too close to romance. And so that's been her favorite movie. And so we've picked out today, there's, there's some great movies out there. It's a Wonderful Life. Scrooge is a classic. A lot of classic Christmas movies. But we've picked for our series some more contemporary movies that this generation can more relate to. And if you've got kids or grandkids, you have probably seen every one of these at some time or another. So we want you to turn your attention. And also, by the way, our children, while we're in the series here, They're going through the same series in our children's ministry. So you can talk about it on your way home, talk about the lesson and the meaning and what they learned about the Lord through this. And so uh, take a look, and this is one of my favorites, and you'll see how deep I am. So go ahead. As much as uh, Buddy was accepted by his family and friends, there were a few drawbacks to being a a human in an elf's world. Um, I'm going to be a little bit short on today's quota. It's all right, buddy. Just how many etch sketches did you get finished? 
Come on, buddy. How many? I made, uh, 85. You, 915 off the pace. Why don't you just say it? I'm the worst toy maker in the world. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. <gasps> no, buddy, you're not a cotton-headed ninny muggins. We all just have different talents. That's all. Seems like everyone else has the same talents except for me. You, you have, you have lots of talents. Uh, special talents, in fact, like um, uh, special talents. You changed the batteries in the smoke detector. You sure did. Triple A's. And in six months, you'll have to check them again. Won't you? And you're the only baritone in the elf choir. <laughs> you bring us down a whole octave. In a good way. <laughs> See, buddy, you're not a cotton-headed ninny-muggins. You're just... special. And so, Buddy was sent where the, the special elves work. <laughs> uh, to you, but think you can help me pick up the slack on those etch sketches No problem. I appreciate it. Buddy's killing me. I only got Lum Lum and Choo Choo pulling doubles. It's quick thinking yesterday with that special talents thing. I feel bad for the guy. Just hope he doesn't get wise. Well, if he hasn't figured out he's a human by now, I don't think he ever will. If he hasn't figured out he's a human by now, I don't think he ever will. I think they're too small. I'm just... Special. <laughs> you don't look so good, buddy. Are you okay? I'll be okay. I just need a glass of water. Ah! Buddy. Buddy is having what we call an identity crisis. He discovers he's not an elf after all, and so he's going to set out for New York City and find out who his real father is, and that's kind of the plot of the rest of the movie. Uh, identity crisis. You know, we, we live in, in a society where a lot of people are having identity crisis. I was uh, driving my truck and it broke down. And so I, we pushed it into the, the, the gas station and I made some phone calls and was gonna get a ride and a lift and someone was gonna come pick up the truck. And uh, when I was on the phone, while I was sit- waiting for the, the tow truck to come, I got a call. I said, hello, is this Mr. Larry Burbacher? I said, yes, it is. And they said, we just are calling to check, did you open up a credit card for rooms to go and are you attempting to buy a lot of furniture? 
And I said, no, that's not me. I, 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 it's not, I don't need any furniture. I'm not buying any furniture. And what had happened is someone had taken my social security number off a form I had filled out. I gave them that to turn in. They had wrote the number down, and now we're using my number to try to buy furniture. And so immediately I was put on fraud alert, and I was a victim of identity theft. Now, I, I've always thought, who would want to steal my identity? It's, it's not that great. And so, uh, but, but there I am. And I felt violated. I said, how could they do that to me? How can they take my identity? And right away, they, they canceled the card, and uh, they put me on 90-day fraud alert. So if anybody tries to do anything with my number, if it's you out there, they're going to catch you. And then the other night, it just kind of all came back on us. We were in a hurry to get somewhere, and uh, we stopped at Sam's to pick something up on our way there, and I was going to open up a credit card, because if you do, you got $45 off your purchase. Wow. And so this will take me 10 minutes. Boy, I stood there, and it kept, it kept uh, being processed, and they kept saying, I'm sorry. We kept being flagged. It was like I had to go through FBI to get a credit card because I had already been put on fraud alert. Anybody trying to open up a card in my name is on fraud alert. It took about an hour to get that credit card and save me that $45. But, but identity theft, and, and what happens is, I will tell you, in the world today, society and culture wants to mess with your identity, They will tell you who you are, who you are not. They will tell you what you can do and what you cannot do. They they try to dictate who we are and then we live out of that. And if if our identity's all messed up, we get messed up. Identity crisis, and that's exactly what is going on. Maybe when you were growing up in school, you were labeled as fat. You were the fat, chunky kid, and everybody laughed at you, and everybody made fun of you, and so even now, you, even though now you can ride, run like a 5K with no problem at all, you still have that label shouting in your brain, you're just a fat kid. And some people have even gone the opposite extreme and become very anorexic because they're trying to overcome, or bulimic because they're trying to overcome that label that was tagged on them. Maybe you were called stupid as you were growing up as a kid. And so, so now you've always have that label that the enemy pounds into your brain and no matter what you try to do, you'll never amount to anything because you're just stupid. You can go to college and succeed and do everything else, but it's still never, ever good enough because of the label. Maybe you've let sickness define you and you have diabetes or some other disease that you deal with every day in your life, and so that defines who you are and you live out of that identity, and so we're defined by our illnesses. Maybe rejection or divorce has defined who you are, and so forever you'll be known as a divorcee or someone who failed along the way or you've been betrayed, and that all becomes a part of your identity, or maybe circumstances has weighed you down and they determine your name. Maybe it's marked by a death of a loved one or a tragedy or you've had a bankruptcy in your life or in your background and all those labels are attached to who we are and they affect how we live our lives out of that mistaken identity. But the only thing that really matters is what does God say about you? Who does God say you are? And when you begin to understand who God says we are, then we are free to live out of that in freedom and life and joy. I want to tell you a story. Take your Bibles out and turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses, verses 6 and 7. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of the background. It is about 605 B.C., Judah, which is in the north, the northern, 10 northern tribes have already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. 
for their, because of their idolatry. Judah never really learns the lesson, and so the tribe of Judah, uh, based around Jerusalem in the south, uh, they are also a very idolatrous nation. And so God is gonna send judgment on them, and he sends prophet after prophet to warn them that judgment is coming because of their wickedness and because of their idolatry. And it finally comes around 605 in the form of the Babylonian Empire. They've already conquered the Assyrians. They're spreading out all over the Middle East and in that region. And, uh, and so they're gonna come and they're gonna, ram, they're gonna totally decimate the city of Jerusalem. And they're gonna destroy it and tear down its walls. They're gonna go in and loot the temple, take out all the gold and the silver and everything in there and leave the temple in ruins. And then they're gonna put and enslave the Israelite people and put them into captivity. Now what the Babylonians would do is they would take the best and the brightest and the strongest and take them back some thousand miles away from their home in Jerusalem and take them all the way back to Babylon, the center of Babylon. And so they took them there and they would take the best and the brightest. That's where our story picks up today. And so let's stand together and let's read that. One of the guys that was taken in captivity is the author of this book, a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel lived, would live during the reign of four different kings, and you see that traced out through the book of Daniel. So probably when he's taken into captivity, he's a very young man, possibly around 16 years of age. So that gives you an idea how old he was when all this happened. So let's read verses six and seven. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your sweet presence today. And I just pray, Lord, as we look at your word, you'll open up our hearts and minds that we will begin to understand and see who we are in you once again, afresh and anew. And if, if we've been carrying those labels that this society, the enemies tried to place upon us, that this morning we'll find freedom in this service. I thank you, God, that you're a loving, good, good God, and you're a great heavenly father. We're thankful we can come together and learn from your word. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them what your favorite movie is, a Christmas movie, and then you may be seated. <sighs> Apologize for my voice. I'm overcoming a little bit of junk in there, and so it's... Uh, I'm on the tail end of a cold, and it's just about gone, and so we're glad of that, but the, the voice is still shot. Listen to what happened. When, when victors, when conquering armies would come, and they would overtake a people or a nation, they would often do something that would change their names in order to show they were no longer Jewish. Now they are a Babylonian. Now they are slaves of Babylon, and Babylon rules over them, and we have four examples of that in the scripture I just read to you a few minutes ago. Now, it's not like changing their name from George to Sam or Larry to Bill, but what they did is they intentionally gave them very degrading names, names that, that totally changed their original name, their original culture as being children of God to now they're gonna give them idolatrous names and idolatrous identities to degrade them. The first one, the guy's name was Daniel. Daniel means this, God is my 
judge. God is my judge. That name, and, and isn't that an amazing name? God's my judge. God's my Lord. God's my Savior. God's the one I serve. God's my Lord. He's the one I follow. His name is changed to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar meant lady protect the king. Lady protect the king. And what they're literally doing is they are shifting the gender of Daniel's name from a male to a female name. It's like, it's like taking uh, Tracy and saying, Tracy, your name's no longer Tracy. I'm going to call you Sue from now on. And so you give him a lady's name. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They're messing with his gender even in this change. And it's changing the focus from off of God. God is my judge to now lady protect a man or lady protect the king from off from God to human. His name changed from a man held accountable by all-powerful God to that of a woman who is supposed to protect her sovereign. And for Daniel, that is a terrible, terrible insult. Total reversal of roles. I want to tell you, we live in a messed up society that is trying to redefine gender roles today. They are trying to blur any distinction between male and female. In the beginning, God created man and he created woman and they're uniquely different, designed by God, different emotions, different, different functions, different body structures, different build, all a part of God's master plan for reproduction. Male and female, uniquely created. And now today there's this massive push to re-totally define our gender identity. And today we're seeing now men who marry men and they call it a marriage and ladies who will marry ladies and they will call that a marriage and define that as a marriage. We will put people on our covers of our magazines and we will, the the media praises them for their courage and so you see a picture of what, I don't know, they say a beautiful woman, I don't know if it's a man, woman, but Caitlyn Jenner. And so she graces the front of magazines and, and now we're told this is a person of courage. I don't know whether to call her male or female. I don't know. I'm confused. If anybody else is confused or not, I'm really confused. And, and we're taking our God-given creation makeup fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And they're changing their gender. And I will tell you, listen to me, church, in the society and culture in which we live, we are only now seeing the tip of the iceberg. This is just now beginning in the last 10 years. We are going to see an explosion of this to where now grade school students will say at some point, you know what, daddy, I don't like being a boy anymore. I want to be a girl. Or I don't like being a girl. I want to be a man. Or we'll sign you up for a little surgery, a little operation, and we can take care of all that. It's all about what you feel on the inside. And that's exactly what they do to Daniel. They're trying to humiliate him. They say, no longer are you Daniel. God is my judge. Now you are Belteshazzar, lady. Take care of your sovereign. Mm. I want to tell you, God's designed you for a reason and a purpose uniquely like you are. Don't despise God's handiwork. Second guy was a guy by the name of Hananiah. Hananiah had a great Jewish name. It literally meant Yahweh or God has been gracious. God has been gracious. Isn't God a good God? His name is changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. So the Babylonians are trying to put 
in their minds and they label them as someone who follows a mean, terrible, cruel, hard God. God is not a gracious, good, loving God. And doesn't that what the enemy tries to do today? When something goes wrong in our life, as soon as something bad happens to us, what does the enemy say? He sits on our shoulder and taps us and see, your God's not such a good God after all. If God was a good God, why are you going through what you're going through right now? And he changes the name, Hananiah. And then the, the next guy is a guy by the name of Mishael. Mishael means, who can compare to my God? No one. To Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Once again, the Babylonians, their culture is trying to subvert the goodness of God into a relationship of fear and cowardice to an evil, tyrannical God, monster God. And, and all the time, they're trying to make their gods look more attractive. So Yahweh, he's a mean tyrant, he's a bad God, but the Babylonian gods, you can have sex anytime you want in our temples, you can have orgies all you want, you can do anything you want, Uh, no more Ten Commandments, no more rules, no more regulations, we have a fun God. And they're changing the name once again. Isn't that exactly what culture does today? Listen, we are living in modern day Babylon. And then Azariah, His name in Hebrew meant Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, the servant of Nebo. He goes from being a son or heir of Yahweh God, a child of God. Now he's a servant of man. He's a servant in Babylon. Every one of these Hebrew names, new names, were meant to obliterate the true nature of God and reorient their identities to be slaves of man. I want to tell you, it's dangerous when we want to please man more than we want to please God. And in culture, we try to be man pleasers and want to please everybody and we want to fit in, and we want to blend in with the crowd uh, instead of being a child of God and a pleaser of God. Facebook is intoxicating, and, and, and tweets and retweets, and we want to be liked, and I want, I want to be tweets back, and I want to be thought well of, and, and, and so we validate ourselves 24 hours a day on the internet because we want people to like us, and we want to fit in. But are we that serious about pleasing God. Everything about these guys was stripped from them. And I will tell you, for many of us sitting in here today, it's the story of our lives. And what happens is we don't know who we are. We, we, we lose our identity. We don't know where I fit. And you've had your identity stripped away and taken from you. I want to share you just a couple of thoughts this morning. If you have your outlines, you can take them over on the back and follow along with me this morning. And the first thought is simply this, and we need to get this. God says, I am his masterpiece. Let's all say that together. God says, I am his masterpiece. Doesn't even sound good saying that. I am a masterpiece of God. Let me show it to you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter two, and I have the New International Version. It probably is on your screen. It says, for we are God's workmanship. 
We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The New Living Translation puts it this way, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. Listen to me, you're, you're his work of art. You are his best creation. You're the crown of all God's creation. It's you. You are a masterpiece made by God. Psalm 139, verse 14. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, designed by God. Genesis 1, 27, you go back to the creation story. He says, man, he made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means God, God has his thumbprints or fingerprint all over my life. I'm made in his image. The enemy may say all kinds of things about you. Society may try to label you. By the way, when it says Satan is an accuser of the brother, another translation of that says he is a labeler. So he tries to put labels on you, tries to bog you down and enslave you in your thought about who you are. But God says, I know who you are and you are my very greatest work. You are a work of art. You're a masterpiece and I love you like you are. Wow. All kinds of shapes and sizes and colors and looks and God loves us all. We're all uniquely designed by God. Now the second point goes along with that. When you discover that you're God's masterpiece, then you begin to understand also that God says, I have a purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for every single one of our lives. I read in Ephesians 2.10, let me go on. It says there, it says, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I've got a plan for your life. I've, I've got a purpose for your life, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose, and his purpose is linked to our identity. And so when I know who I am in Christ Jesus, then I be, this, begin to discover why God has adopted to be in a family, why God has saved me, why God wants to use me, what God has for me to do in his kingdom work. I have a purpose and a plan. But he had a purpose. He's gonna find out what his purpose is. He can't find his identity's all messed up. He discovers he's a human. He's now found his daddy, but he's still gonna have a unique purpose. Take a look. Santa? Come on, you've been doing 
Santa. Back off, Slick. This guy's a deer. Buddy, is that you? Are you okay? Boy, am I glad to see you. The clausometer suddenly just dropped down to zero. There's just no Christmas spirit anymore. The strain was too much. The engine broke free of her mounts. I need an elf's help. I, I'm not an elf, Santa. I, I, I can't do anything right. Buddy, you're more of an elf than anyone I ever met. And the only one who I would want working on my sleigh tonight. Really? Really? Will you fix it for me, buddy? I'll try. Papa taught me how. You gotta find it first. It dropped off the sleigh back over there a ways. The engine. The engine. Go, buddy. Go, Mr. Elf. It was at that point in the movie, tears of joy are running down my cheeks as we uh, find out who Buddy really was meant to do and be. When we first connect with Jesus Christ, he gives us our new identity. It is found in him. And as we grow in Christ, we begin to discover our purpose. Now, here's what happens. All throughout the Bible, we find and discover people who, who it's when they had their encounter with Christ, this dynamic life change occurrence that happened in their life that would change them forever. And, and we've got some interesting illustrations of that in the Old Testament. One is a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob would go through a name change. Jacob is, the name means deceiver. And so that's his label. He's gonna be a deceiver all the rest of his life. And so he deceives his brother. He, he lies to his father and, and he rips his brother off of his birthright. But now he's gonna have this dynamic encounter with God, a wrestling match with, with the angel of the Lord all night long. And he says, you are no longer gonna be called Jacob, but now I'm gonna call you Israel, one who prevails with God and who triumphed. I wanna tell you, isn't that a great, incredible name change? And when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he no longer says, you're no longer an adulterer, you're no longer a liar, you're no longer a drug addict, you're no longer a heroin user, you're no longer an alcoholic, now you're a child of the most high God. And we have that encounter with him and everything changes. And now a whole nation of people are gonna forever be called the tribe, the nation of Israel after this one man. You read the story of Abram. Abram was the grandfather of Jacob. Abram went from wandering around as a nomad who also he had a problem lying as well. It seemed that lying kind of was a generational thing that went from, uh, from Abraham to Isaac to, to Jacob. And so we see this falling all the way through. And now he's going to change his name. Now I'm going to call you Abraham. Now Abraham seemed like a ludicrous name because the name Abraham means father of many. And he and Sarah had been unable to have any children and now he's getting older and older. But God would bless him and God would give him a son. And he said, I will make of you a great nation. And I will tell you that nation is multiplied all around the world. But it's not just the new Jewish nation today. Everybody who names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the father of faith. He is our spiritual father, so to speak. And now we are the children, the Bible says, of Abraham. What an incredible change. 
Simon's a fisherman. He wasn't a very good fisherman at that. Every time Jesus finds them, their nets are empty. They always, many of their nets or equipment's terrible. And so he's out there trying to fish again. And uh, he's kind of rough around the edges. And he's got a temper. He suffered from foot and mouth disease. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. And, uh, but God looks at him and, and there's a revelation that he has about who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And he says, you are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says in Matthew 16, you are Peter, Peter, not Simon, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now we know the rock, the foundation for the church is the confession of who Jesus Christ is, but, but Peter, it meant little stone and he would be a leader in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, dramatically used by him. Listen, God knows exactly who you are, and I will tell you right now, you are not who the enemy says you are. You are not what the enemy says about you. You don't have to wear those labels anymore. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. You're created for a specific purpose that only you can fulfill. Almost every name-changing event in the Bible occurred after an encounter with God. So have you had that God encounter? Have you had that time when you said, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart and life. Change me. From that moment on, your life will never, ever be the same. He activates all the greatness in yourself that you do not see. And when you give him control of your life, he will give you back your name again. Now listen to me. If your identity is not attached to Jesus Christ, you will try to find your identity in something else. And so in Babylon, in our culture today, we, we, we look for many ways for validation and for affirmation. And some people who don't know Christ are trying to find it in their physical appearance. And they're, they're doing everything they can to look younger and stay young and look good all the time. And they work out all these hours a day and they sweat and they want to look good to fit in with culture. Because the good looking people get recognized. But listen to what God's word says. 1 Samuel 16, 17. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so it's what's on the inside that matters. Others try to define themselves based on their performance. And so we want to impress others with our latest achievement or the awards or accomplishments or all that I am doing. And we tell how people how busy I am and all the stuff I've done and about all of our accomplishments. Listen to me. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. God loves you, period. He cares about you. You are his sons and daughters. There is nothing we can do to earn God's love or earn God's forgiveness. It is a free gift of his. Aren't you glad you can live out of that? And then finally, many define themselves out of their possessions or monetary worth. They let money rule their lives and they try to enjoy their fleeting moments of a false security. I call it a false security because money will not get you into heaven. It is short-lived, it is passing, it, and they base their worth on their bank account. And if the bank account's good, I'm worth a lot. And if it's bad, I feel like I'm worth nothing and, and I'm no good at all. But you learn the hard way, Luke 
12, 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our life is not about what I have or what I don't have. It is who I am in Christ Jesus. And I am God's workmanship. I am created by him. I'm his masterpiece. I'm loved by God. Mm. You can rest in that knowledge that within your unique identity, you have a very specific purpose in life. And he gave you just the right personality, just the right abilities, just the right talents and gifts to accomplish what he called you to accomplish. And when you encounter God's love, you see yourself then as God sees you. When you, when you have that encounter, that, that Holy Spirit God encounter, that moment when he breathes new life into you, then you're free again to see yourself as God sees you. And then you live out of that purpose and out of that function. And who are we? We are God's friend. He says, I call you no longer slaves, but friends. We are God's child. We have been adopted into his family. And I read it earlier, we are God's masterpiece. Take a look at the final clip of Buddy, of Elf. Go ahead. And so, with a little help, Buddy managed to save Christmas. And his spirit saved a lot of other people, too. Waller started his own independent publishing company. His first book was written by a brand new, critically acclaimed children's author. The book was Elf, a a fictional story about an adopted elf named Buddy, who was raised in the North Pole, went to New York, ate spaghetti, worked in a shiny mailroom, and eventually saved Christmas. First, I traveled through the seven levels of the candy cane forest. Past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops. And then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. And as for me, I can't complain. Buddy comes up to visit from time to time. In the meadow, we can build a snowman. And pretend that he's Boston Brown. Oh, thank you, Joby. That's, that's very sweet. You You're welcome, Papa. No man, but you can do the job. Come here, little one. Puppy wants to see you. Though your nose get a little shit. Buddy, we'll frolic and play. Maybe today you're unsure of who you really are. Or you look in the mirror and despise what you've become. And you're carrying this label, this brand that somebody else has tried to put upon you. But there is a divine identity that God has for every single one of us. A divine purpose, divine functions. You are God's masterpiece, created in him to do good works. There's there's one clip in the movie where Buddy 
when he's finally going to try to realize who his real dad is, his father orders a paternity test. And the blood is taken from the father, and the blood is taken from Buddy. And he discovers that really is indeed his true dad. I want to tell you, there's a paternity test for every single child of God. Because the Bible says, I have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in me right now. I am covered in his blood. I have forgiven by him. He has taken away every sin away from us. And so, who is my daddy? My heavenly father gave his life for me. Amen. No one can ever rename you no matter what. God knows who you are. And we need to know that too. And if you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, if you don't know what your identity is, if you haven't asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life, I've got great news. You can start this incredible journey this morning. All you to say is, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Come into my life. And you'll find out who and what God made you to become. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.